Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome to Remastered Podcast by Muslim American Society. I'm your host, Muhammad Kibriya, with my special guest here, Sister Maryam Amir. And I'm going to read her profile a little bit, inshallah, before we begin, so we can introduce her properly. So Sister Maryam, you received your master's in education from UCLA. Um, you hold a second bachelor's degree in Islamic studies from, through Al-Azhar University. You memorize the Quran. You research a variety of religious sciences. You're also an instructor in Swiss, Hikmah Institute, author and virtual mosque of Al-Jummah. You focus on various spiritual connection and other contents that you post. And you also go live on Instagram. And mashallah, you empower women to show their voice through the Quran recitation who have memorized. Now, today's topic is making dua while feeling spiritually numb. Sister Mary Mamir, I want to ask, you know, with this profile that you have, mashallah, you're very active in the community and engaged. Do you feel spiritually numb at times when you're making dua? And how does that feel for you? That's such a real question. So many times people look at individuals who are like active in community spaces, or maybe we look at people who are in scholarship and we say, subhanAllah, I wish that I could have that type of connection that all the time, you know, I'm focused and I could pray and I'm weeping. And the reality is that when I look at people like that, I wonder how do they get to that level? How do you get to a level where you are always in this mode of your heart is present, where you are weeping when you hear the verses? And then I have to take a step back and I have to think, where do I get that messaging from? Where is the messaging from that I have to feel something every single time I'm engaged in active worship. And for me, that was a very long process to get to a point where I recognize that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, that my prayer, my, my, my sacrifice, my um, my, my, my life and my death are all for the sake of Allah. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't say, you know, that every time I do those acts of worship, that I am falling over myself with joy and tears of love. And it's interesting because getting to that acceptance and that recognition, for me at least, and I think for each one of us, can be a process. When I first started getting really into Islam, I thought that I had to constantly feel emotional. Mm. I would literally sit in my room and after I would, uh, you know, make my adhkar al-sabah, I would just like make my, you know, my morning adhkar, I would sit and I would stare outside the window and I would just try to force myself to cry. Oh. I would just sit there like, think about every sin you've ever done and weep. Think about every blessing Allah has ever, ever given you and cry. And if I couldn't cry, I, I would think Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala must be so angry with me because I can't cry out of my devotion to him. I don't feel like an emotional connection despite the hours I spent worshiping. I'm not feeling anything. Therefore, how can he feel love towards me? Because I'm not expressing that love. And subhanAllah, as I was studying more and the, the more that I would, you know, alhamdulillah had the opportunity to sit with scholars, I started to realize that there's a little bit, bit of a disconnect mm -hmm. between the way that we, what we learn in our, our like traditional studies of Islamic law versus what we hear in terms of the messages from du'at who are trying to encourage people's iman. So for example, when I went for hajj uh, on Arafah, 
there were people in the group who were coming up. They weren't, they weren't scholars. They were just, mashallah, like very enthusiastic uh, individuals making hajj who wanted to make dua. So it was all, you know, from the men's section, there was a microphone towards, you know, the, the women's tent and in the men's tent. And they were saying, if you do not cry today on Arafah, then where is your heart? If you do not cry today, how do you think you have Iman? Today is the day you cry. And these are the messages they kept giving. And so by the end of Arafah, when we were back in Mina after we had gone through all the other rites, there was a sister who was just staring at the floor. And the day before, before we had gone to Arafah and then before we had gone to Muzdalifah and we had gone back to Mina, she had been so talkative and so energetic. And I asked her if she was okay. And she was probably in her like maybe 40s or 50s. And so we're not talking about like an impressionable teenager who comes and, you know, is like, mm -hmm. oh, the Imam said, you know, if I don't cry, she is someone who has lived this message for some time. And she said, I couldn't cry at all. I didn't, I didn't cry a single time and I was on Arafah. So what does that say about my Iman? And alhamdulillah, that by that point in my life, I wasn't also someone who thought that if I didn't cry, I didn't have Iman. And I was able to reflect with her that the Prophet Wasallam taught us that, you know, Hajj is Arafah, not, not crying is Arafah. It's the action that you do. Yeah. And that, that realization takes time to get to on an individual level. We getting to the point where we realize that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't say that my servant draws closer to me through the amount of tears that they cry. He talks about the actions that they do, the obligation, and then the voluntary. But still, even once we get to that you know, recognition, we want to taste the sweetness. We want that mm. feeling. We want to be in Ramadan and be able to, to know that we spent time at night just bawling and feeling like maybe if someone is not someone who naturally cries, a lot of people don't, are not easy criers. I am a super easy crier, but not everyone is that. And so like, it doesn't mean you have to have tears, but just feeling something in your heart. And mm -hmm. how do you get to that feeling? Number one for me was the recognition that Sometimes the, sometimes the way that we, uh, you know, process who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, mm -hmm. is based in how we view our own selves. So I would at times take the things that I was struggling with, with my personality or my shortcomings or feeling like I wasn't doing enough with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even if everything I was trying to do was, was a form of worship, it just felt like it was never enough for the greatness of Allah. And so because of that, I would cast my own insecurities onto who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was. And I would assume that he would see me in that way. And so I'm casting my, my, my you know, self-loathing, my struggle with my self-esteem, the way that I feel like my, about my past, whatever it is. And I'm saying, that's how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala must view me. I don't love this version of me. So how could Allah love this version of me? Wow. And it's so important to recognize that the way we see ourselves is not the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sees us necessarily. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a shakur. He is appreciative of the fact that I'm having that conversation internally. He's appreciative of the fact that I regret my, my whatever I've done. He's appreciative of, of, the, of the fact that I wish I could sit and I could spend all day, every day, just weeping out of love for him. But that's not my reality. But because he's a shakur, the appreciative, he's still going to appreciate the fact that I feel that way about myself. Mm. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that leads me to how do I know who he is? I know who he is through who what he has revealed and through the Quran. So being able to approach the Quran, not in the lens of 
I am so um, not worthy of receiving his blessings, but his blessings are not dependent on who I am. He sends blessings anyway, because that is who Allah is. So I need to be so, I need to stop being so self-centered that I think that his greatness is dependent on the amount of my deeds or the feeling of my connection. What I need to look at is, like Ibn al-Ta'ilah mentions, that the person who has hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they have hope in Allah because of who Allah is. And a sign that you don't have hope in Allah, and in fact, you have hope in your own deeds, is when you stop the deeds that you thought would be the most pleasing to him because you got busy with other things. You got busy with having children. You got busy with work. You got busy with taking care of other people. And these are things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put into your life. He mm. has put them as priorities that you have to take care of, that these are a form of worship. We wish we could get rid of all of them so we could do nothing but focus on Allah. That is your hawa. That is your shahwa. That is not from the, the, uh, the looking at the, the priorities of worship that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put in your life. And when you place all of your hope in his mercy on your deeds, instead of on who he is as Ar-Rahman, it was never about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the first place. It was about what you were doing. And yeah, I like, I mixed like two of his hikam and then I added some summary. So Ibn al like gives us the general idea yeah. that subhanAllah, when we look at the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks to us about who he is. And he is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When we talk about Ramadan, it's a month of blessing anyway. It's not about how much I'm doing and that's how blessed the month is. It's the month of blessing and whatever I do will be more blessed. So when we approach Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, taking a verse a day, what changed my life was taking five pages of Quran a day, reading it in the English and in the, uh, and in the Arabic until I was fluent enough in my reading to read it in the Arabic. And then until I actually studied Arabic, then I could stay and just read it in the Arabic and focus on that. But reading it in the English was so important for me in the beginning so that I could know who is Allah. When he talks to Musa alayhi salam, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks to Musa alayhi salam and he is coming, what has Musa done in his past? Even though, I mean, mm. you know, Musa alayhi salam has gone through so much and he has done, done something in his past that he never intended to do. And then he comes and who is talking to him but Allah. And he talks to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala about his fears, the way that they're going to see him because of his what was what was seen as a disability. We have a prophet amongst, uh, amongst our MBA who had a speech impediment. I've had women tell me that they feel uncomfortable resetting the Quran because mm. they, have a, they have a speech disability. And subhanAllah, look, we have a prophet who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has chosen to show us that every single one of us in however Allah has created us has a space with Allah. So Musa alayhi salam is coming worried that people are going to make fun of him, that he's not the best person for this task because of his past, because of his, his physical ability. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals himself to Musa alayhi salam. And he tells him that he is Allah, that there's no one worthy of worship except him. And yet, when we come to Allah with the same feeling, that same fear, that same concern, where, where do our minds go? We don't feel like we are strong enough or ready for the task. Neither, neither did Prophet Moses, peace be mm, upon him. And yeah. yet Allah still chose him. 
Allah still chose him and he strengthened him with his community who he asked for, his brother, Harun alayhi So when I'm going through this process, number one, approaching the Quran and looking, reading through the verses, not through my lens of insecurity, but through the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mm-hmm. anyway. And then two, realizing that in the messages of the Quran, community is included. So sometimes I need people who are going to support me. At times, many of us have had spiritual trauma, sometimes because of a particular, um, you know, what whether... Experiences you, in the community. Exactly. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. You might go into a masjid or a community space and because of... It could be for anything. It could be your race. It could be your gender. It could be your yeah. marriage status. It could be anything. You walk in maybe because of a disability, whatever you might have, maybe just simply as simple as a way that you're you are or not wearing hijab. Yeah. You just feel like you don't you don't feel welcome. Maybe someone actually specifically comes to you when you're just sitting and praying on your own and tells you your salah is not going to be accepted because you're doing this. Like people seek you out to give you that type of nasiha. Maybe it's the first time you've entered the masjid in 10 years. So sometimes we don't feel like we can go back to the masjid or we can go back to Muslim spaces because we've felt in the messaging that we are marginalized, we're isolated, we're not welcome there. And we need to separate that concept from the message of Islam and from the sunnah of the Prophet. The Prophet Subhanallah, there was a companion who walked past a group of companions. And this is in Muslim Imam Ahmed. They were sitting and there was a man who was talking about this companion who walked past to his friends. He's like, I hate that man for the sake of Allah. And the other companions were like, that's a terrible thing to say. So they went to the man who had passed by and they told him what he said. And this man went to the Prophet وسلم, and he said, this man said this about me. And he's, he was his neighbor. And mm-hmm. so the Prophet وسلم, called this man and asked him, why did you say that? And he's like, well, he prays, but he doesn't pray extra prayers. He just prays exactly what the good and the of everyone does. He doesn't do even more. And the man replied to him and he said, have you ever seen me not pray my prayers on time? Have you ever seen me not do my wudu correctly? Have you ever seen me not do my ruku or my sujood correctly? And the neighbor said, no. And so then he said, okay, you know, so they, they kept talking like, what is the yeah. next thing? Well, he only fasts in Ramadan. That's it. He doesn't fast any extra, any extra fast the rest of the year. And the man said, did you ever see me not fast Ramadan? Did you ever see me break my fast in Ramadan? I'm giving a summary of the hadith. Yeah. And the, the, the neighbor said no. And so the next thing was zakat. He said he, he doesn't give any extra, any extra donations. He only gives his zakat. And the man said, did you ever see me not give my zakat? Did you ever see me not give? If somebody asked me for something, did you ever see me deny that person? And he said, no. And so the Prophet wasallam said to, uh, to the neighbor, he said, perhaps he, talking about the man who was judged, is better than you. Mm-hmm. And that is so powerful because sometimes we even feel like the basic the basics we're asked to do is not enough. And yet the Prophet wasallam is witnessing, he's testifying that his actions it, perhaps these actions yeah. and the state internally that he's not judging someone else, that he is not casting blame on someone else. He's not hating someone for the sake of Allah, yeah. for the sake of doing righteous deeds. Perhaps he is better than you. I could seriously keep going for a very long time. <laughs> Mashallah. So actually a conversation. I, I think you said, I think you, you dropped a lot of gems. And, you know, one thing it's interesting I just caught in the last conversation is that these incidents that happens in our current community 
happen during the prophet some time. And I think this is something that our, our, our viewers should acknowledge that, you know, sometimes we, we make our companions or, or the incidents 1400, 1500 years ago, make it perfect. Like everything went like exactly heavenly, right? The reality is there was battles between each other. There was like arguments, you know, companions were being racist. I mean, the, the things, it, it's not, it wasn't just a perfect alignment, right? But with that, what's interesting, you also gave some pinpointers to make that shift in turning, because, you know, we're talking about when, our, we're, not, when we're not feeling anything and we have all, we are, are going to have those moments. I have those moments. Actually, I have a lot more. What are some of the shifts that we can make as an individuals in a current climax that we live in, right? Because like, and, and I wanted to actually ask you, what is your favorite verse you go to when you feel like your heart is being hardened or you're not feeling something? Of course, you're doing your regular things because you know that you're not focused on the emotion. But what is that one verse you take and chisel your heart with? Say, so, you know what? This is the verse I'm going to continue to chisel my heart with. And would you mind reciting it for us? If you have any, you can think about. So I actually don't... Um... I don't share verses like this because they're so personal to me, but okay. I'll share something else with you. So you don't um, want to give out a secret? No, I'm kidding. I'm not <laughs> going to give you my secret. I will tell you something else though, is that each one of us has a secret with the Quran. Mm. And it's a secret that we develop through our experiences with the Quran. So for me, because alhamdulillah, I have been very actively memorizing, working with, uh, reviewing the Quran for uh, subhanAllah, like uh, many, many years. Quran becomes like a friend in different parts of your life. So when you are actively trying to develop that connection with it, you have moments where a verse comes to you and you feel like devastated. And then you just walk mm -hmm. into the masjid and the imam is reciting that ayah. Or yeah. you are just going through something and you feel like, subhanAllah, I am nobody. And then someone sends you a lecture and it's a tafsir of the ayah that you need to hear. So when you are intentional with the Qur'an, the Qur'an will be a part of your life from places that you don't expect. Mm -hmm. It comes to you. You seek it out and it comes to you. And I'll tell you, um, subhanAllah, the other day I was having a very difficult, a very difficult uh, day. And I was, um, it, it had come after like a very, like a buildup, you know, like it was yeah. like a buildup. And I just, I had a, I just had a breakdown. I had a complete breakdown. And I always think like, you know, sometimes we feel like, how come I don't feel this spiritual connection? But we have to look at the fact that if we were in Mecca all day or in Medina all day or in Masjid al-Aqsa all day, and all we did was worship and like, we did nothing else but just read Quran and sit with Quran and I, our connection would be very different. But then people who do that every single day, their connection needs revival too. So even if you were to do that every single day, and it wasn't just something that you get to take a trip and come back, it takes, your, your heart needs that a different, a different revival, which is why the Quran is so powerful because it is literally Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talking to you when you need it. And so I was having this breakdown and I went onto an online space because I thought maybe I could go and just hear some Quran. I listen and I think, is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala going to send me one of those verses that he knows I need in this time? Like maybe, and that sounds so arrogant, like, oh, Allah's going to send me a verse. I don't mean it like that. I'm like, what message am I going to hear from the Quran today that mm -hmm. can help me process what I'm going through? Now, that being said, if you're going through something emotional, it's really critical to see a therapist as well. 
Make right. sure that we don't think, <laughs> oh, I'm reading the Quran all the time. And yet, you know, I still have depression. Please go to therapy and read the Quran at the same time. Yes. But sometimes in moments like this, when I was just, you know, like, subhanAllah, I just felt like the absolute, like worst everything in the world, just a complete failure in every way. And I went onto this online space and each one of us was supposed to read a particular ayah and um, excuse me, a particular page. And right before it was my turn to read, I had to leave. And so I missed my page completely. And when I came back, they had finished the entire, the entire section they were reading. And so I thought it was too late for me to recite. And they were like, no, 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 you just came back. Why don't you recite this next page? So subhanAllah, I started to recite that next page. And then right as I was reciting, I got to this verse. And before I started reciting it, I started to bawl. I just said, Allah, and I started to bawl mm -hmm. because the verse, I, the page I had been assigned didn't have a verse like that, that I have a personal experience with. I'm still building my experiences with every single verse. And I thought maybe I'll get a new message. But the page that I had been assigned when I left and I came back, it's like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had me leave. At the, I had to suddenly leave at that time just to come back to hear the ayah I needed to hear mm -hmm. for me to feel like, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is with me. And that ayah, a'udhu billahi min ash-shaytanu rajeem, bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Inna al-lazina qalu, inna al-lazina qalu, rabbuna allahu thumma istaqamu, fala khawfun alayhim, wala hum yahzanun. That these people who, um, they say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is our Lord and they are firm in that. There is no fear upon them and they do not grieve. And for me, that ayah and another ayah that's similar to it, they're so hopeful because when you're afraid of who you are or whatever you're going through in this life, and when you're also afraid of whatever's going to happen in the hereafter, it's just this, this, um, this firmness, this thabat, the steadfastness that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends angels that come and they say to you that subhanAllah, this, this, this particular ayah doesn't men mention the angels, but another one that's similar to it talks about how the angels come and they give you this glad, these glad tidings and that the angels, the Quran talks about angels as, you know, people who bring, you know, bara, uh, people, excuse me, beings who bring barakah and mercy and protection. And subhanAllah, it's such a, it's such a comfort to know that even if you feel physically alone, which alhamdulillah, I had the support of so many loved ones, so I, I didn't feel yeah. physically alone, but many people do feel so alone. And even in that case, you aren't alone, you have Allah, and you have the angels that Allah SWT brings into your mm. life to give you that type of protection. And when I'm going through those like emotional moments, those, excuse me, non-emotional moments, yeah. when I feel disconnected, when I feel like I can't connect no matter how much I want to, and I keep doing the deeds, but I don't feel anything, then I try to think what verse in the Quran is speaking to my condition. Okay. And I try to reflect on that and sit with that and create new experiences with that. So that when I'm in that process, I realize that I am actually not listening to what Allah SWT is sharing with me. I'm just in my own state and how can I reflect on how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is actually being there for me? Mm. So would you mind telling the viewers the verse that you uh, uh, recited? Oh, yeah. Let me get it for you, inshallah. inshallah. While you're getting that, I think one thing you really mentioned powerful is that, you know, um, 
the Quran speaks to every one of us. There is this personal relationship we should have with the Quran that, you know, each word mean, may mean something different. Even the translation may have a specific meaning, but it reflects on your lifestyle and your life experiences, right? I mean, there's a reason why our fingerprints are different. We all have a unique fingerprint. We all have a unique relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Quran and the Prophet These are the VIP connection. These are the personal connection. These are the personal relationship hashtags you carry with Allah, with Prophet and with the Quran. And I think that's, that's important. And reflecting back on, you know, what the walking, talking Quran, our experiences actually reflects on the verses that we reside and reflect on, like our lifestyle, our, our situations. I think that's something that, you know, um, as, as uh, all of us should really think about and ponder. And because our Quran, you know, for really, if we're struggling, Quran is speaking to us somewhere or another, right? I think you definitely hit so many points. And I want to go back to the, you know, the, the criteria of dua. Do you have to have, like, of course, you establish that, right? You don't have feelings. That's fine. You still talk to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Just do your ibadah. It's, it's, about, it's about submitting, right? Sometimes we forget that even me standing with no feelings, like I, I, I was in certain khutbahs, I was sleeping. I was in certain prayer. I was just like, okay, this is long. Maybe my minds are going wrong. But the fact that you and I are standing in front of Allah is an ibadah itself. That's powerful, right? That's, that's not to be underestimated. So do we, you know, what are some of the things, what are the, some of the practice things we can do in the next 10 days to really connect with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala despite our numb feeling, or maybe we have extra, that, you know, moist feelings in our heart. What are some of the steps, you know, what are some of the things you can advise viewers, inshallah, after you mentioning the verse you mentioned? The verse is in Surah Al-Ahqaf, and mm -hmm. the verse number is number 13. In terms of when we're going through, <clears throat> excuse me, when we're going through, um, especially the last 10 nights, and we feel like maybe we've lost the first, you know, the, 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 the biggest part of Ramadan, remember that um, deeds are by their ending, that of mm. course, also the beginning is important and the middle is important, but we can make it up and it's not too late. It's so mm. important to realize it is not too late. For me, I know when I'm in sajda, when I'm making dua, sometimes I am making something out of habit. I am making out of habit. I'm saying, I'm saying something and I want that thing, but I am not intentional. My focus is not there. And even when I'm in sajda, sometimes I suddenly, it suddenly hits me. I'm not focusing my heart fully. I'm not fully focusing my heart. And then I realize I am standing in front of Allah, the one who will answer me, the one who the Prophet said about that pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you are certain that he will answer you. And so then in that moment, that shift hits me. Realize where, where are you? You are standing in front of Allah. And yeah. imagine if behind you was the angel of death. And imagine if to the right of you was paradise and to the left of you was hell and you were standing in front of the throne, the arsh of Allah Azza wa Jal. How would, your, how would your reality be if you entered salah with all of these different concepts of who you're standing in front of? So when we're going into prayer, take a second. You know, I know what it's like. You are rushing. You have like small yeah. people clinging to you, screaming your name. You have a million deadlines you need to do. Okay. Take literally three seconds 
I'm about mm. to stand in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When you say Allahu Akbar and you throw everything behind you and you start, mm. what if this really was your last opportunity to talk with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? You mm. wouldn't, nothing else would matter. <laughs> yeah. And so when you go into sajda like that, folk bringing your heart present with what your words are saying, then you can start to talk to him. And you say, oh Allah, I don't feel anything. Mm. I don't feel anything, but I want to. And I know I don't want to worship a feeling because sometimes Panala, a very, mashallah, a very wow. righteous woman told me she's been praying for 40 years on time, every single prayer for 40 years. She hasn't missed a prayer that hasn't been on time. Mm. And she said, very few times in 40 years have I tasted the sweetness of my prayer. Wow. But I still pray. Subhanallah. And is that more powerful or is it more powerful to say that someone every time they pray, they are weeping and they're overcome with love and they're, I mean, that's what all of us want, but <laughs> also at that point, the prayer is because it feels so good, which is something we all want. Allahumma yeah. ya Rabbi. <laughs> <laughs> but most of us aren't going to experience that every single prayer for 40 years. And so how much dedication does it show that you are not worshiping a feeling? You are not yeah. worshiping the sweetness that you taste. Mm. You are worshiping the Lord who, even when it doesn't taste sweet, you're still worshiping him. Absolutely. And so you bring in that focus, at least I try to bring in that focus. And I think, how can I bring my heart to be present in what I'm asking for? And this is why dua is so important because you ask for what you want. You ask mm. for what you need. You ask for the needs of other people that matter to you. And so it mm. becomes emotional. It becomes emotional because of what you're asking for. So even mm. if you don't feel that connection, you have a connection with your loved one who is sick, who you want to be cured. You have a connection with a future mm. hope that you have. But for some reason, you feel like it's impossible. Mm. And answer it. And so you bring all of that into that space and you bring that focus into you. And then you know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala listens to the one who brings their heart present into this. Because Umar radiallahu anhu said, it's, he wasn't afraid that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wasn't going to answer. He knew Allah would answer. But he was afraid that his heart wouldn't be present in his dog. Yeah. And I think that's, that's really powerful. Um, so... I want to ask you personally, um, what's a good dua to help soften our hearts, right? That's one. And following up with it, what is the most strangest place you made dua to Allah? Like you, you made dua and, and talk to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Like what is like one, say, you know what? I was this one place and I started talking to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What is the one strangest place you personally made the dua and talk to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Because like, you know, sometimes, we, again, we were talking about contextualizing and being present in the masjid of, Medina and all the places, but we, we forget that Allah is not just, you know, in that prayer sujood, right? Yeah. You can talk, like, I mean, like one, one of the things I like to do, like right, right after Ramadan, right after the Eid, you know, one of the saddest things as a community activist I see when I'm in the masjid, the entire masjid is empty. Like, mm -hmm. it's almost like empty and it's mm -hmm. so saddening. And I'm like, you know what? And I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking about smart du'as. I don't think many people are talking to Allah right now. Very mm -hmm. few people are talking to him at this, like right after the Eid or, you know, people are just getting it just to the regular life. So strangest place you made dua or strangest places that you have spoken to Allah. And what is, are some of the duas that, that, you know, you can recommend our viewers to that soften and that can chisel our heart? 
Um, of course, like in terms of adi'ayat um, make, there are so many from the sunnah that we can make, like Allahumma thabbits qalbi ala qalbi al-qlub thabbits qalbi ala dinik, that the Prophet sallallahu would constantly say. The Prophet sallallahu taught us about making dhikr to revive our hearts and saying the shahada to revive our hearts. So of course, there's so much from the sunnah. But mm. in addition to all of that, I would just say, speak to Allah from your heart. Mm. The way that I learned to make du'a, of course, you know, we all alhamdulillah have the blessing of um, hearing different du'as, not all of us, many of us have the blessing of hearing different du'as when we go to the masjid, hearing our parents make du'a, we learn du'a um, as a process. But when I went to study in Egypt, the imam of the masjid there, the way he would make du'a just changed my life. He would make du'a like, oh Allah, if you do not answer us, who will answer us? Mm -hmm. If you do not answer us, who will answer us? La taruddana khaibin. Don't let us turn away as losers. It was so, it was such a plea. The way mm. I heard dua before this in the masjid at Witzer, for example, in Tarawih, would be like, like a very singing kind of like a rhyming dua. I can't even say yeah. so. It's like awful. But that was a Quranic verse. So I should have, should have recited it. <laughs> um, but just like, it's a very like flowy, you know, yeah, yeah. soothing this imam called to Allah like he was on a boat and it was like sinking and he needed someone to save him. And that pleading, that changed my life. When I make dua now, I plea, I beg, oh Allah, if you do not answer this dua, who is going to answer this dua? And so what I would recommend is when you go to your dua, Yes, of course, say any of the adi'iyah that you can find from the sunnah of the Prophet So many of them, of course, are, there's nothing better than the Prophet words. And also know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves to hear your voice in your words, in whatever language you speak. So many yeah. times we feel like it has to be in Arabic. What if you're not a native Arabic speaker? Like I wasn't. You don't yeah. know what you're saying. So right. going to the, the, the dua with your heart and saying like, Oh Allah, I don't even know what to say, but I, I want to have a conversation with you. Just coming from your heart, bring your heart to what you're talking to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala about. And in terms of the strangest place I've been to, I would like to, what, what is your strangest place? Let me think about that for a second. I want to hear what yours is. <laughs> I like that you throw the question back. Um, I did. Honestly, like I, I have created this habit of talking to Allah anytime, any place. Like I'm driving, I'm talking to him. I'm randomly like, like I'm sometimes mumbling. And my wife is like, what are you saying? I was like, nothing. I'm just like, you know, just reflecting and talking to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because strangest place I would say definitely like, you know, um, on a roller coaster, I'm going down. Allah, or like even when I'm playing soccer, when I, everybody's just looking at me, I scream, Allah, this is like, they're like, what is wrong with this guy? <laughs> I was like, hey, man, I, you know, I'm, I'm talking to God all the time. So I think like, you know, I, I feel like we make this in our, we tend to forget that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is closest to us right he's close to our than our jugular vein mm -hmm. so he's always with us subhanallah and talking to him I, I feel great like i talked to him in bengali and urdu i talked to him through like my nasheed i talked to him through my Quran. like i'm just like always in like i have a good relationship like i it took some time it took a couple you know i was a decade plus to really find that balance and understand who allah is and fall in love mm -hmm. and i going back to your point you mentioned about the heart when you're making dua from your heart when you're like Prophet, one other thing about the language is only the other, only the heart can understand. So when somebody's saying it from their heart, it's an emotion, it's an, it's a vibe that you feel that touches your heart. Mm -hmm. These are only communication between the heart. There's, you know, like you have a signals that connects. Mm -hmm. This is the connection of the heart that you feel. That's why you feel when you're mentioning about the imam, 
because he said it from his heart, his experience, he, he just cried out versus like mechanical or like, mm -hmm. okay, here's what you say. Yes, mm -hmm. you get the reward. But when your emotion is connected to that dua, it's beautiful. You feel it. It, it hurts your cord. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's, uh, that's where I'm at. So we want to wrap it up, inshallah. I know there's a lot to talk about. We should have like a couple episodes on this topic, mashallah. Um, would you mind, you know, talk, going back to our topics, right? Making, talking to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, why we're numb, our hearts are hard. Um, give us like maybe in two minutes, um, some of the bullet points that you, you, you can uh, suggest to the audience, you know, things we talked about. The first is recognizing that the way we see ourselves is not necessarily the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sees us. Mm -hmm. Number two, realizing that our past spiritual trauma, isolation, feeling like we've been pushed out or marginalized, whether it comes from family or community or even self, mm -hmm. that is not necessarily the way that we, um, the way that the, the messaging that we hear in our heads is not necessarily the message of God. Mm -hmm. So coming to the Quran or coming to the dua and telling yourself, I am safe. I am accepted. I am listened to. Allah hears me. Allah wants me to talk to him. Allah wants to hear my voice. Allah wants to hear me go back to him. Talking to myself that I am safe with Allah is so important if I've had any type of spiritual marginalization. And also recognizing that maybe therapy can be helpful for that process. Creating new experiences. When you go and you have the Quran and maybe the way that you've experienced the Quran or dua in the past has been one in which you have felt like you don't deserve it. Okay, who is telling you that? Stop letting other people dictate the way that you live your life with God. Create new experiences. Take the Quran, take your dua with you to the beach and make it a relationship. Have a relationship with dua. Have a relationship with the Quran. Make a relationship with salah. How do relationships happen? It's not through, it's not through, you know, once in a while checking in and then leaving or not understanding what someone else is saying. If, if, if you were speaking in a different language to me that I didn't understand, and I was responding to you in a different language that you didn't understand, we might get something from our expressions, but we probably, yeah. you know, maybe you'd say Jannah and I'd say Alhamdulillah and we'd get a few <laughs> things, but that's because we have shared words. Yeah. But when we approach the Quran and Dua and Salah, why don't we see that as a relationship with God? So mm. going to the beach and how would I develop a relationship with a best friend? I'd sit and we'd have conversations. Yeah. I would hold the Mus'haf. I'd hug the Mus'haf because I would hug a friend when I'm trying to bring them close to me. If I don't feel anything when I read Quran, then stop forcing myself to feel like I'm not good enough. And instead think, what would I do if I just needed someone to listen? Mm. Maybe I just need a hug. Hug mm. the Quran. Hold mm. the Quran. If you're not ready to read it, just hold it. Your dua, when you're going to dua and you feel like, I don't know even where to start. Tell Allah that. I don't even know where to mm. start. Allah, uh, help me. Help me know where to start. And also, I really recommend a book called Reflecting on the Names of Allah by Gina and Yusuf. It has a journal that is attached with it. So many scholars, you can download an app and listen to scholars mm. talk about different names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that they've chosen that mean something to them in their lives. And it's a journal that you could write a name of Allah and your goals with that name of Allah. Yeah. Get to know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by his names every single week. Read one name, make dua to Allah by that name that whole week and get to know him for who he is Excellent. so that you're seeing him for the way that he has revealed himself to us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, Allah 
that to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are the most blessed names to so make dua to Allah by those mm. names. And when this ayah was revealed, the Quraysh said to the Prophet about the Prophet, he's telling us that we need to worship one God, and yet he says, Call out to Al Qadir and Ar Rahman. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed this verse that he has these blessed names. Call upon him by all of these names. And when we do, we'll find that we don't just know him in one way, we know him in all the different ways that he himself to us subhanahu wa ta'ala may Allah accept from you thank, thank you so you. much for what you do for the community and empowering all the women across thank the law and um thank you so much for all these amazing contents reminders there's a lot to digest and I ask all the viewers to you know, make dua for you to continue to be in this path and, and bring you closer to Allah, Allah and, and, enter and, you in Jannah, and every single one of us enter you in Jannah for those who don't need trials questions and next to the Prophet Jazakumullah khair so Thank you again. Um, and, and we, we really want to appreciate all the uh, viewers. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode, inshallah. If you guys want to find out more about Sada Maryam, there is so much, right? So one thing, if you have struggled or questioned issues as related to women in Islam, particular Quranic verses, prophetic narrations, women's roles related to topics, you guys got to go to her site. She is in www.sohabweb.com and look into the women and religious texts. Inshallah, we'll put all the contents and information, but you got to have to check out her on Instagram. So whenever you go live, like whenever Sister Ustada Maryam goes to, you know, live on her Instagram with all these women reciting, it's just powerful. It's just amazing. Mm. You know, and the revelation experienced by so many mothers and around, it, and you're doing this in such an amazing way. Mashallah, may Allah bless you. Like check out her on Instagram, Inshallah. We'll put all the links in the bottom. May Allah subhanahu wa from you. Jazakumullah khair and bless you. I know you have a hard stop. And we want to appreciate your time and we want to value your time and your input. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. It's been a blessing and a pleasure. Amen. Jazakum al-khair, everyone. We would like to take a moment to thank our Ramadan partner, Islamic Relief. Islamic Relief USA provides relief and development in a dignified manner, regardless of gender, race, or religion and works to empower individuals in their communities and give them a voice in the world. Islamic Relief USA is honored to be partnering with Mass National for programs, benefiting our brothers and sisters here and around the world. We thank you for answering the call. Islamic Relief Orphan projects and programs go beyond immediate aid by providing opportunities for education, livelihoods, and family stability. Be part of the change. Visit irusa.org forward slash mass 75 orphans Sponsor Orphan, if you can. Jazakumullah khair. Assalamu alaikum.